Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to Comet Central. I'm Kevin Sidik Lim, the host of Comet Central, and I'd like to welcome you to season three of Comet Central. Our podcast focuses on the challenges that Muslim converts face along their conversion journey to help Muslims from all backgrounds to find a strong foothold in Islam. Follow our Instagram and LinkedIn page at Comet Central, and I look forward to sharing with you all the beneficial series we plan for the year. For now, I'd like to welcome you to season three of Comet Central. Welcome back to Comet Central. So Alhamdulillah, we have completed our Ramadan and Shawal series and also our team has taken a break. So at the start of the break, I've actually shared my convert story and that was actually what we were posting on our podcast platform for the past week. And actually today, we are actually very, very excited to announce the start of our June series and the series is called Thinking It True. So we've actually been working on this for a while. We've been also planning this for a while because this actually is very important to um, how converts and also born Muslims who are coming back to Islam understand Islam in general and theology in general. And we actually realized that in the past one to two years of um, building Convert Central and creating podcasts is that we have a lot of people coming to us with questions about theology. And sometimes when we quote like Islamic sources of evidence to them, uh, they don't actually necessarily relate to these um, sources of uh, evidence. So actually what we wanted to do with our podcast is to answer these questions in a way that will, that will appeal to a general population in a way that is slightly more universal. And for that, today we have actually two very uh, special guests with us today that I will introduce later on. But what, what we will actually do uh, in, the, in the entire series is that we have split up these questions into eight different categories. And we have a certain mindset of approaching the questions. We want to create a discussion. We don't necessarily aim to answer all the questions uh, entirely, but rather we want you guys to think about it and come back to us on our Instagram page uh, if you guys have any question. Now, before I also go into the podcast itself, we've actually had an IG Live on Monday evening and we actually had an introduction on IG Live itself, introducing the framework in which we'll be answering the questions and that includes talking about different worldviews that people will have. And that um, session is, is actually uploaded on IG Live. So if you guys want more context, we'll give a brief summary of it here on our podcast. Do head down to our IG Instagram page to watch that IG Live itself before coming down to the podcast. So um, I will introduce our two guests today and I will start first with uh, Dr. Mubarak before heading to our second guest. So um, I think as a convert, uh, most of us aren't strangers to Ustaz Dr. Mubarak. Uh, he's been quite active at Dara Akam. And in fact, for myself as a Chinese convert, um, when I was in secondary school, he was actually teaching in my secondary school. So it was actually quite a surreal experience uh, seeing Ustaz around again and getting to know him again as an Ustaz. So uh, just a brief summary. Dr. Muhammad Mubarak Habib Muhammad, is, he's primarily a science and math educator. So he's had a big, big uh, resume of different educational backgrounds, which I'll just list here. He has a degree of Doctor of Philosophy in Islamic Civilization and Contemporary Issues from Sultan Omar Ali Saifuddin Center for Islamic Studies. Uh, his dissertation carries the title of Tawhidid Pedagogy of Science with special reference to Ibn Sina and Muhyiddin Ibn Arabi. So he also has a Master of Arts degree in Islamic Spiritual Culture and Contemporary Society from Isla International Institute of Islamic Thought and Civilization from RIUM. He also has a Master of Education. He also has a bachelor degree in math and production engineering with a specialization in metrotronics in, from NTU. He also has a postgraduate diploma in education, in-service diploma in physics from NIE, and also a diploma of Quran and Sunnah studies by Jamaa Isla Institute Malaysia. In Darul Akam itself, he has taken two diploma programs, a diploma in Islamic banking and finance, and a diploma in Islamic studies. And other than being an avid student of uh, seeker of knowledge, he also 
volunteers at many, many different institutions. So some different roles that he serves across the years. He has served as Vice President of Education and Dakwa Division at Darul Agam. He has served as a member of the Board of Directors for Young AMP. He has served as Assistant Secretary at Masjid Al-Kaf, Kampung Melayu. He has also served as Secretary of Malay Activity and Executive Committee for Aljunit, GRC and others. So currently, he is the Chairman for Center of Contemporary Islamic Studies in Singapore. And that focuses on developing thought leadership among Muslims in Singapore, where it deals with contemporary issues faced by Muslim community. So... Um, I think something that is more relatable and, and important is also that he has been an active volunteer at uh, Darul Akam since his university days. So he's, he has a lot of experience in dealing with the thought processes of converts. He has a lot of experience with dealing um, in communicating certain uh, ideas to converts, which is a big reason why we decided to get uh, Ustaz Dr. Mubarak on our podcast. So um, I will move on to introduce our second guest, and who is also not a stranger to people who follow Convert Central. Our second guest is Sister Elena. Uh, she's been with us uh, from season one. In fact, she was a team member and she's a second-gen uh, Chinese Muslim. So she has shared her Convert story once and actually we wanted to get her back again because we, we understand that um, even though we are born Muslims, at certain times we also have doubts about our, the- our own theology. And uh, other than converts coming into Islam, questioning uh, some concepts of Islam. Sometimes as Muslims, we also, born Muslims, we also benefit from understanding our Tawheed better through the perspective of answering certain doubts that we have. So at the end of the podcast, we actually get Sister Elina to share her reflections after we get uh, Dr. Mubarak to share some of the frameworks that we are answering and also some of the concepts of God that we are discussing today. So today's discussion will focus more about the concept of theology in Islam, the the foundation of how we understand God and also some of the concepts of God that we, we have uh, explored in Islam. So um, before I get Dr. Uh, Mubarak to talk about these uh, concepts, I'll get him to give a short summary on what we talked about on our Instagram live. And inshallah, we will move on to uh, get our reflections from uh, Elina at the end of the podcast. So uh, Ustaz, bismillah. Uh, thank you very much, Brother Siddiq and uh, Sister Elina for uh, inviting me in this uh, very important uh, group that you all have created, this important initiative that we are able to uh, bring out the rich Islamic intellectual tradition, uh, the history of our Islamic intellectual tradition to more people and especially to the youth. Uh, in discussing the idea of the worldview in the IG live session, we specifically define, uh, we, we, spe- we discuss on the ideas of worldviews. Uh, the different types of worldviews and also what are the uh, shortcomings of some of these ideas and worldviews. And then we specifically define uh, Islamic worldview has the comprehensive vision of reality and truth and principles of action that govern the human being's complete life, both individually and collectively, in light of that reality. Now, central to the Islamic worldview we discuss is the assertion of the doctrine of unity. Allah is one, and his, oneness, and his oneness is of such a nature that ultimately only he truly understands and bears testimony to it. As how we assert in our testimony that I bear witness that there is no divinity but he. But we as human beings has witnessed to him and as his representative or trustee on earth also seek to understand his oneness, which is Tawkid. Not just we understand that Allah is one, but we must also understand that there is an interrelation between all things. There is a unity that runs through the whole of God's created order and through the human society, 
if that society is to be Islamic. There must be a unity in life, human life. There must be a unity in relationship between God and the nature of and the world of nature. There must be unity in human thoughts. There must be unity in what makes the art, the architecture, and the cities we humans create. Now, all of these forms of unity reflects the wisdom and the will of God in our world. The will which is the embodiment and most concretely in the divine law and which should also be expressed in every authentic facets of the human life. Now, hence, we expect, we, we, in our Islamic worldview, in IG, we emphasize the idea of unity, not necessarily means uniformity. So existence of unity in all domains of thoughts and life do not necessarily mean that uniformity is it. Does not mean that uniformity leads to salvation. Does not mean that uniformity is the way to go. Now, however, globalization has how we see in modern times seeks or propagates or even encourage homogenization or uniformity. Uniformity of thoughts, uniformity of culture, uniformity of actions, uniformity of food, and in many other domains of our life. So the basic idea of Islamic worldview is the idea of unity. And unity is not equals to uniformity. That's what we discuss and the framework that we establish uh, for our IG life. The second component of the Islamic worldview that we talk about is the testimony of the prophets. The Prophet Muhammad wasallam, which is a uh, witnesses, witnessing his prophethood, which by doing that, automatically, all right, we bring together the unity of humanity from the very beginning of human life. The prophets for humankind are the perfect exemplar of their respective community, with Prophet Muhammad being the last in the chain of the prophets and messengers sent to humankind to remind and teach them of the doctrine of unity to their respective people. Therefore, from an Islamic point of view, religion is therefore a nature of the human being. It's not something that is added by accident. It is not a luxury, but the very reason for human existence. And human being, to live to the fullness of the reality or nature which God has bestowed him or her, and which alone provides ultimate meaning for the human life. So religion is seen by Islam as a necessity for human existence. This is why the Islamic worldview right, is a more comprehensive worldview vis-a-vis -vis all other types of worldview that there is there out there. So that's the, 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 the basic uh, framework that we talk about. Although we are going about talking about this right, from a more rationalistic and logical perspective, but still we cannot move on from a vacuum. We still need to set a certain base. And the base that we have set is the base of the Islamic worldview where the concept of unity uh, is the most important part of it. Alhamdulillah, uh, thank you so much Gustas for summarizing the IG life that we've had. It's definitely an interesting session, so I definitely recommend all of us to uh, listen to it before we come back to the start of our series on our podcast. So perhaps many of you guys are thinking why we are discussing worldviews, right? And why we are talking about specifically an Islamic worldview, right? Um, perhaps um, even for myself, before I realized about uh, this, this, this concept of worldviews and this entire study of worldviews, I didn't see the need of uh, segregating different perspectives and which we see lives, our lives. 
So basically, worldviews are, are basically ways that people see and explain uh, the world around us and our own place in it. And so the worldview that we adopt will not affect, will not only affect the way we think, it also affects the way that we behave and we act. And it shapes our quality of life, our, the way that we actually perceive certain concepts. So which is why it's important when we're talking about big questions such as uh, the ones that we want to discuss to talk about worldview. And also another uh, concept that we also want to focus on is the Islamic worldview. And many of us are also sometimes wondering why are we approaching a lot of questions that we are trying to answer only from an Islamic worldview. When we are actually trying to uh, conceptualize our podcast, we wanted to include a circular perspective and Islamic perspective. But actually sitting on it, we realized that the Islamic perspective is the most rational and the most perfect answers. And the reason why that we have chosen this is actually captured on the IG live that we, were, that we have discussed on Monday evening. So Ustaz had shared all his points and we also will be comparing the, uh, the way we answer certain questions from an Islamic worldview and also from the perspective of other worldviews on IG live. So do check it out before you come back here. And uh, without further ado, I'll just pass it back to Ustaz to talk about different proofs of God and why we believe that uh, there's higher existence out there. So Bismillah Ustaz. Thank you very much. Now, this, uh, again, we iterate here. The starting point of the Islamic worldview is the certainty of the existence of God, not doubt. This is a major difference between Islamic worldview and I would say modern worldview or postmodernism and, and all those uh, uh, branches of, uh, of worldview that comes out within our contemporary time. Now, within the Islamic intellectual tradition, the discussions about God, discussions here in plural, eh, and the arguments about the existence of God, all right, are to establish certainty. Now, let me share with you all, all right, some of the arguments on the existence of God found within our intellectual tradition. Now, these arguments can be divided into three. The first one is the cosmological argument. The second one is the ontological argument. And the third one is the teleological argument. These are big words, all right? These are big words, cosmology, ontology, teleology, okay? Now, you are being youths, all right? Youths who are exposed, all right, to different forms of thoughts and all that, okay? You should be looking through, all right, these words and what do they mean, okay? Now, these arguments are rational arguments as rationality brings certainty. Although belief as how contemporary thinking states is subjective and emotive, the rationality that was presented in this argument within our corpus of history brings certainty to belief and faith. Now, there are analyses within this, uh, what is this different arguments on the strengths and the weakness of each one of them, but I'm not going to go into that direction because that will take... Uh, more than two hours for us to complete those kind of discussion. So for, for podcast, let's keep it brief. Well, let's keep it brief. Let's move on to the first argument, the cosmological argument. Now, what does this cosmological argument states? Now, it argues for the existence of God by observing natural phenomenon that occurs within the cosmos. So cosmos is the word, is, is a more sexy word, I would say, all right, for the term universe. All right? But, yes, but then cosmos is the opposite of chaos. So cosmos means that there, there, there is structure within it. There is pattern within it that can be used for prediction. Right? That can be used for prediction. So from the perspective of the Greek philosophers and also the Muslim philosophers, all events that happen within the cosmos cannot come into existence on its own. 
all phenomenon must have a cause. For example, if a forest fire broke out, it is a phenomenon within a cosmos. Within, within a cosmos, our world is a cosmos. Now, this forest fire cannot happen without a cause, be it a natural cause or with human has the cause, voluntarily or involuntarily. Now, going further back, this cause of the forest fire, the first cause of the forest fire, would have a cost of it. Will also have a cost. The cost of the cost will also have a cost. The cost of the cost of the cost will also have a cost. So you have this all right, regression all right, backwards. Because each cost was an effect of a previous cause. All right, and each cause. So this regression, now, can this regression be infinite where there is no full stop? Right? Well, can it be that? Is it logical for this regression of the cause right, to move all the way without any full stop? Now, according to the philosopher, this infinite regression of cause and effect is impossible because how would it regress infinitely without ending to the first cause of the forest fire? Now, in another example, imagine a river flowing in front of your house. Now, is it possible that the water flowing in the river does not have its beginning? Now, it doesn't matter if the starting point of the river is one kilometer away from your house or 1,000 kilometers away from your house, like the Nile River, which is very long. But what matters is that there need to be a starting point. There need to be a starting point which will, which will stop the regression to become infinite. Now, coming back to the cosmological argument on the existence of God, now, philosophers call this first cause God. God is the first cause of everything. Right? So this is the causal, the, 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 the causal argument based on cosmology. Now, continuing from this cosmological argument, all right, Philosophers came up with another argument which says that anything that moves requires something to move it, be it external or from an interaction of internal forces. The argument that the cosmos moves on its own is a weak argument, as we also know that when bodies interact, forces are produced. Therefore, motion occurs. That is, that is your, your Newton's law. Yeah, when forces, when, when bodies interact, then you'll have forces. And those forces are the one that either they are in a state of equilibrium or there need to be a net force that causes a motion. Although in equilibrium, when your net force is equals to zero, there is still a constant speed motion that is possible on that. Now, therefore, when, when you talk about this again, all right, will there be an infinite regression? Who moves what? Okay, so therefore, the Greek and the Muslim philosopher argue that all movements seen within the cosmos must have the first mover. Now, what is more interesting is that this first mover, according to them, must be the unmoved mover. Because if the first mover itself is moving, then the first mover need to have the one that moves it. Therefore, the first mover must be an unmoved mover. The starting point. Now, a, a, a philosopher, Abu Sulaiman al-Sijistani, a Muslim philosopher on the 9th century, right, he says that 
An example of this unmoved mover is like a king. A king who is sitting on the throne is able to move his whole entire kingdom without him moving by just commanding it. So he is like the king. The king sitting on the throne, commanding all right, this whole kingdom to go out for war. Everybody will have to move except him. He just need to sit on the throne with his command. So this is an example of what is seen to be an unmoved mover. The other one about this unmoved mover all right, is on the law of attraction. A magnet can cause magnetic materials to be attracted to it without the need of the magnet to move. So the magnet moves magnetic material, but the magnet itself does not require to move. So this is the idea of the unmoved mover. So the first mover all right, is a mover that is not, is, is, is itself is unmoved. Right? So Aristotle said that God is an attraction where all living things in the cosmos is attracted to God and move towards him to come close to God. So human being is also part of the cosmos. A flower, without the need to move, attracts the bees to his head. So one of our thinkers, Maulana Jalaluddin Arumi, a Muslim mystical thinker of the 13th century, said that due to the beauty of God, that has caused the cosmos to fall in love with God and make the cosmos in the constant motion. So according to Maulana Rumi, the fundamental force of movement within the universe is love. Love moves you. And we can relate with that. When you are in love, you are moved. You can move from one end of Singapore to the other end of Singapore. All right? With your girlfriend or boyfriend, no need to move, you will move towards it. That's what love does. So, right? so when you look at the, at the cosmological argument, where is the starting point? The starting point is looking at the phenomenon that is happening within the cosmos and then try to understand it to see that there must be a transcendent being that starts everything. So this is a summary of the uh, cosmological argument. I hope I'm clear. Huh? All right, huh? can follow. Huh? I hope everybody can follow this cosmological argument. Now I move on to the second argument, which is the ontological argument. Right? You can go and refer to your dictionary and pause this one first, then you look what is ontology, then you come back and hear. <laughs> now, ontological argument right, by Ibn Sina, one of the leading Muslim philosophers of the 10th century, said that the cosmological argument by Aristotle is weak. Is weak. Why? Because he says that, all right, the the why do you need to use uh, natural phenomenon to prove, prove the existence of God? Let's use God itself to be the proof of existence of God. What does he mean? Now, first you have to see that their critique of one another is not a critique to say that, oh, when I can critique you, means God does not exist. No. The critique of the arguments is to make the arguments more stable, more certain for people when they hear it. Right? So the, the difference from the cosmological argument where the cosmos becomes the starting point that builds its argument, the ontological argument uses the whole idea of existence as the basis of its argument. In Arabic, you call it wujud, or sometimes it has been translated as the term being, B-E-I-N-G existed. So Ibn Sina 
Alright, Ibn Sina, uh, there are gift, uh, what's this? Uh, there are a number of ontological arguments. The first one, Ibn Sina argued that there are three categories of existence. The first one is the necessary existence. Second one is possible existence. And third one is the impossible existence. Now, what does this, this three category means? Now, necessary existence is an existence that must always be there, be it in the past, present, or future. It cannot not exist because all other existence depends on it. Okay. Possible existence means that the object has equal chance of coming into existence and not coming into existence. Right? Meaning that something has the potentiality to, of coming into existence or it can also not come into existence. Now, impossible existence is an existence that is impossible to appear potentially and in its actuality. Now, with these three categories, Ibn Sina said that the cosmos cannot be a necessary existence because through observing all things within the cosmos, all the things in existence in the cosmos was not in existence within a certain period of time. And then it came into existence for a period of time and then disappeared from existence after a period of time. Now, this is a strong indication that a cosmos is not a necessary existence on its own. Because whatever that's inside the cosmos is like that. It was not there, it came and then it disappears. Okay, because the definition of necessary existence, it must be there previously, now and in the future. Okay? So this is a strong enough. The cosmos cannot be categorized as an impossible existence. Because we are seeing the cosmos. Cosmos is there, so how can it be impossible? Therefore, the only possible category for the cosmos that it is a possible existence that depends on an external existence. Now, this external existence has always has to exist, and God is giving. God is the one that gives this external existence. Okay? Now, a second ontological argument was presented by a 12th century English philosopher. Okay. Uh, uh, the name is Ans uh, the name is Anselmus A N S E L M U S. Okay. Now he starts through his observation of the world of nature and say that there is differences in sizes of the various existence that are being observed. Some are small, some are big. As this is the fundamental makeup of the world, therefore there must be the biggest existence that is beyond the imagination of the human mind. As long as the mind can form an image of the size, then that is not beyond the imagination. And the one that is beyond the imagination is God. Although this argument is being criticized by Immanuel Kant, but he as a philosopher and someone has already predicted what Immanuel Kant will have to say. And he has an answer for it. So this is the uh, ontological existence. There is another category of ontological existence, but I'm not going to go there because that's going to make our brain explode when we hear that. Okay. All right. Now, finally, I come to the last one, which is the teleological argument or argument from design. Right? Now, teleos, a Greek word, means purpose. Right? Teleos means purpose. So this argument states that the world is created with purpose, not something that happened at random. There is a design in the creation of the world in order of the world to achieve its purpose. Now, this argument has two components. The first component is design 
and the other component is purpose. Okay, now I go to the design first. From the perspective of design, we cannot deny that the world, the cosmos, has very intricate, subtle, and complex structures. From the microscopic world to the cosmos and galaxy, we see fascinating structures. For example, at the atomic level, the nucleus houses protons and neutrons. And the orbits that enable the electrons to orbit at high speed without any possibility of colliding with one another. At the macro level, we observe the solar system where the planets revolve around the sun in specific orbit with absolute precision and accuracy of speed and time that allows mathematics to model to model this orbit and we use the mathematics to help us predict cosmological phenomena because of the patterns that there is there. Now, so the world or the cosmos is so finely tuned, right, with so many constants in physics that gives accuracy to many decimal places. If you remember your physics at O level and N level, there are so many different constants. Got mu lah, got macro lah, got this one lah, got that lah. There are so many constants, and you don't need to memorize because it will be given to you under the constant table. And these constants are so, to so many decimal points. It's so accurate in terms of this intricacy. So therefore, what, what Plato said that God designed the world with this high level of precision before the world is created. Mathematics is an accurate science, a science that brings certainty as the world of nature is modeled through mathematics. Mathematics brings the abstract world and concrete world together. Could the world come about without a creator if our complex technology now requires human beings to create it and bring it out into existence? This is from the perspective of design. Now, the second component of this argument on the perspective of purpose right, is with the fine-tuning of the world and how modern physics has demonstrated to us, it is logical that the world comes into existence. It is, would it be logical if the world with this kind of fine structure comes into existence at random without any purpose? Now, many modern physicists like uh, John Darrow, Frank Tipler, and many others conclude that the world created with such accuracy and precision is directed towards achieving a certain purpose. From an Islamic perspective, this purpose of creation of the world is for the human beings. The best creation of God, who God has entrusted humankind to manage, to run this world in accordance to his will, as both humankind and the cosmos are his creation, one reflecting the other. Now, through all these arguments presented above, the burden of proof falls upon those who deny the existence of God. The existence of the world of nature is a clear indication of the existence of God, right? the existence of a transcendent being. Just like seeing the ray of light in the morning, we know that the sun is out without the need for us to see the sun. Right. That's all that I have for this.
all right, presenting these three main arguments on all right, the existence of a transcendent being which we call God. Thank you. Mashallah, mashallah, Ustaz. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, mashallah, it's so much to unpack even for myself. And I think uh, it's, it's, it's probably like something I have to come back and listen to a few times. I can fully encapsulate the um, learning points that we've had shared today. So I'll just give a brief summary on what we've actually talked about. We've talked about the proofs of God from three different perspectives. The cosmological perspective, the ontological perspective and a teleological perspective and um, the reason why you guys are perhaps also wondering why we are discussing God in our first podcast is because this is the backdrop to everything that we are going to discuss um, in terms of religion in terms of how we practice our lives as people who believe in God so discussing God is necessary as a first step and I think this is something that um, we grapple a lot with as, as non-Muslims for myself when I come into Islam the first thing that I had to prove was that is there even a need for religion so these are some of the questions that, that has came up to us. So in, in, in some way or another, I hope that everyone that comes here has had an uh, answer that can, they can relate to their own doubts that they have had over you know, uh, the years of uh, learning about Islam or practicing Islam even as, as non-Muslims. So um, we, we also rec- recognize that I think this is something that we discuss a lot in Common Central that eventually coming to faith, coming to religion, there has to be an element of a leap of faith. So regardless of how much we want to um, rationalize our, our, our faith and rationalize religion, uh, the understanding of our own religion, uh, we also believe that uh, ultimately, we also have to take our first step in putting some faith into, uh, in, in, into the religion itself, into understanding the religion itself. And of course, uh, like as we mentioned earlier on, on the podcast, is that we definitely won't give a definitive answer to the doubts and the questions that we, everyone has on their minds, especially when it comes to theology. So, inshallah, anyone has any questions, any discussions that you'd like to take it further, Common Central is always open to, to the discussions and we are also always uh, happy to link up uh, any potential Muslims that are interested in faith for more discussions like this to the Ustas that, that we, we currently have uh, in our context, including uh, Ustas Dr. Mubarak. So, uh, do come on our Instagram page to let us know if, if you guys have any other questions or any points that you'd like us to address. So, other than that, uh, the last point I'd like to share as a, just my own reflections as a Muslim is that sometimes um, we might listen to these proofs and we think, okay, um, why, why must I learn uh, these proofs or, or does it really matter to me? So my own take is that as a Muslim is that if, if religion as, as a whole makes very uh, intuitive sense to you, then perhaps uh, you might need these proofs less. But for, for, for someone who actually needs a lot to rationalize their religion, then it's something that we have to put effort into striving and understanding of because we want to make sure that we are in a path that actually allows us to live our life in the most uh, rational and in the most intuitive way for our own faith, right? So uh, for me, I do require, uh, you know, proofs and discussions like this to assist myself to practice better as a Muslim and I appreciate things like this. So yeah, I hope that we've gained something away. Uh, everyone has benefited something from this podcast but I'll, I'll leave it to Elina to help, to help us encapsulate her learning points for the podcast before we end it. So I have two questions for Elina and I'll start with the first one. So I'd just like you to take us through some of uh, your, your own spiritual journey, uh, your own journey in Islam. Is it normal to have doubts in your faith uh, for you? And what is your experience with dealing with these doubts uh, in your faith? Okay. Uh, thank you, Kevin. And thank you, uh, Dr. Mubarak, for the sharing. Um, for, for me, yeah, I think it's very normal to have doubts in your faith. Like, because, um, yeah, even for born Muslim, like, we are exposed to a lot of 
people who doubt religion and have doubts, right? So for me, uh, some doubts that I had was when I was younger, like, how do I know that God exists? Like, there's no scientific proof, right? That Yes, there's no proof that God doesn't exist, but there's also no scientific proof that it does exist. And if God does exist, then how do I know that it's just one? Like, you see all the movies, like, um, like Avengers, Loki and Thor, or like Percy Jackson, or like uh, the Greek memes and everything like that, then you, you start to like wonder, okay, why is that not possible? You know, like, like if there is a God, like, why is that not possible? Or you, you kind of like uh, start to think of all these possibilities. Like, what if there is no God? What if, uh, you know, like, how do you know that there is a God and that God is like, this, you know, so like, uh, like this, these are all like little, little doubts, but also like, uh, externally also I've heard people saying like, or people telling me when I was younger and it's coming from an adult, right, telling me that oh, religion is man-made. So when I hear, as a, as a child, I hear that from an adult, then I'll be like, oh, religion is man-made, like it's all like stories and like, uh, it's, it's like people just created the idea of a god to like give themselves like hope or something like that so like when I started thinking of that right then I was like okay then I need to find I need to like really find evidence or like proof for for existence of god right so when when I hear things like the cosmological argument or the design argument and stuff it really makes sense and really strengthens my conviction like certainty because when you hear this kind of arguments right like then it really makes sense, like, there cannot be, like, the infinite regression, you know, that there, there has to be a creator of the universe, and, like, you, when you think of, like, yeah, like, the universe is, is like, designed in so, like, perfect design, right, is, and precision, like, a lot of things that cannot be just co- coincidence, so you, yeah, it's, it's like, it's, it's very sure that, um, that you cannot like for me like I personally I cannot reject this kind of arguments and even when uh, I think about it and I, I ask questions and I see the um, arguments against made against these arguments then there are also rebuttals that to, towards those arguments and those rebuttals make perfect sense also to me so like for me all these um, doubts are a normal like long whether we are young or whether like even as you're still learning, you can have doubts about certain aspects of, of your faith. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's normal because, yeah, but I think the main thing is to, to seek the answers. Like if you have doubts, then you just have to uh, go out there and, and seek knowledge and ask, ask a, uh, look for the answers and, and you will find it like, eventually yeah, eventually, when you look for the answers, you will come to realize, like, you will, yeah, for me, it has always come back to Islam makes perfect sense. Like, the Islamic worldview, one God, one creator, it, it makes perfect sense uh, for me. So every time I have doubts, uh, I go back to this, yeah, and then it clears my doubts, yeah. Like what uh, Ustaz said, like, the Islamic worldview comes from certain certainty in God, right? So once you 
have this arguments, this mindset, this worldview kind of removes your doubts. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Sis Alina, for sharing. Uh, I think it's a very good point that uh, you've actually brought up a perspective that I've not thought of as a Muslim myself. Um, yeah, a lot of distractions around us that causes us to have micro doubts. Uh, we wouldn't call them like founded doubts, but a lot of uh, allows our mind to wonder, you know, and the importance of having questions and having an Islamic worldview and these kind of concepts is that we are affirming our faith. We are not uh, coming from a place to question. And that's something that uh, Ustaz has shared at the start as well. So uh, at, before I pass on to Ustaz for some final comments before we end the podcast also, I'd just also like to share that the way that we have structured this series and the podcast is to make sure that we answer these questions in a, in a way that will appeal to anyone who listens to them, regardless of whether they are Muslims or they are non-Muslims. So we hope that this has achieved this, uh, this objective that we, we have tried to do. Uh, but if there's any feedback, do reach out to us via Instagram. Uh, we will see if there's any way that we can improve the future episodes that, that we are planning to record as well. So I'll pass it uh, my time to Ustaz to have some closing comments and inshallah we'll end the podcast. Thank you very much for the reflections and, and uh, frank opinions on things. Right? And I think uh, questions about uh, faith is something which uh, we need to confront those questions asked. Uh, faith is something which is not um, to be just accepted blindly. We can start off with that. But as we grow and we are exposed to many things, there is this process of verification that we need to continue. So in Arabic, we call it uh, tahkik. So the word tahkik means that the process on how we verify and the process on how we find truth. And each one of us all right, um, will find all right, one of the arguments or one of the way to be the best suited for us on how all right, we can bring towards certainty in our uh, uh, this? certainty towards the existence of a transcendent being, something which is outside of our mind. Because if not, we will just consider that our mind to be the one that is transcendent. If we don't take God to be the transcendent outside us, we will fall to something else to be the one that is transcendent and the one that we are going to follow. So belief and faith is something which is innate in the human being. We remove God from it, we need to fill the void with something else. And that something else can be other types of worldview. Materialistic worldview, money becomes your God. Right? Uh, luxuries become your God. Ideas becomes your God. Science becomes a God. Just now Kevin says about a leap of faith. Even in science, there is leap of faith, which is not scientific in a way. There is a leap of faith in science because there is an assumption that technology will solve all the problems of humanity. Isn't that a leap of faith? Isn't that a leap of faith? Science, as science progress and advance, it will solve all our problems. Isn't that a leap of faith in science? And so if we remove God, we have to replace something right, other than God into that. Right? So that's my closing remark. Right? Do we care? For you to uh, hear this podcast once again, all right, God, it requires a few hearing, all right, a few more readings before it can sing to you. All right, thank you very much.
Alhamdulillah. Uh, I'd like to thank Ustaz and Sis Alina again uh, for coming up today. It's been a very blessed discussion. Many, many things to unpack. So I will actually recommend all of us here to go and listen to the IG Live before we come back to the second episode of the podcast. If you already uh, listen it uh, to the first podcast, the entirety of it already. Um, I'd like to go into some topics for our next few episodes for you guys to uh, you know, think about uh, before we release the next few episodes so that you guys can have an expectation of what we're going to cover. So some of the questions that we'll be covering in the next few episodes are specific questions about the existence of God, about afterlife. We'll also be talking about uh, the attributes of God uh, and also a lot of questions that we get are also pertain to, pertaining to the will of God and also man's will. So we'll also be covering that in, in one of the episodes in our series as well. Um, some of the other questions we'll be covering, uh, we'll move on to Quran. Some questions uh, regarding Quran, which is uh, specific to Islam itself and also Revelation. Um, and also some of the rulings of Islam uh, that non-Muslims might not understand well. Uh, some of the general Islamic questions and some of the miracles of the prophets that, that has to be explained as well. So uh, we look forward to actually having another seven more sessions with Ustaz. And we also look forward to all of you guys coming with your feedback and suggestions on how we can do better or whether this has helped you or not. But other than that, uh, I'm going to end our podcast today. Uh, it's been really, really an enjoyable session for myself. And I'll get uh, Ustaz to end the podcast for us by reciting Tasbih Kafar and Surah Al-Arsa. Bismillah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Al-Ansurina al-insana la fi khusrin illa alladhina amanu wa amilu salihat. وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر صلى الله على خير خلق سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين Thank you استاذ السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته